Hello and welcome to our sermon series, God is at Work. This week, our pastor Trevor will be leading us in God is at Work. He is strengthening us. Enjoy. Good morning. Great to be with you this morning and to share God's word with you. We're in week two of our series, God is at Work. Particularly wanting to be in this series at this time because you and I know we are going through possibly the toughest times that you or I have ever faced. Certainly as a nation, the toughest time we've faced. And in the midst of that, we need to know. (laughs) We need to know deep down. And it is true that God is at work. Even in isolation, even in lockdown, even in all the things that are going on, to know that God is at work. And that's what this whole series is about, is about digging into God's word and seeing how God is at work. And I pray you know that. I pray you know that, and I pray that you come to know that more as we just ponder this and think about it and search the scriptures. Last week, I spoke about that God is comforting us. That's one of the ways that God is at work. I wonder if you saw last week's message. If you didn't, I really do recommend you you go and watch it. Not because it's me, but because I believe there's something that God really wanted to say in that. God really wanted to reassure us of God's comfort, that he is with us and he's comforting us. And so go watch that. If you did watch that, if you were with us last week with that, can I also encourage you, there's nothing wrong with hearing sermons twice. If you've ever listened to a message and you were taking a note or you were, you missed a bit or whatever, you know, there's something about hearing things twice. We often do it with movies and things that you watch twice and you see things a second time. The beauty and the wonder about the season that we're in at the moment is there's all this great stuff online. Sermons from our church, from other churches, resources out there. And how much time do we spend filling ourselves with other things when these great resources are there? So I just recommend to you, just just get into what's out there, particularly what we spoke about last week. God is comforting us. One of the things I spoke about last week was this thing about chronic pain, about when you go through something consistently, day in, day out, day out, that even if it's uh, even if it's light it starts to feel heavy. I have this example of holding out a mug and maybe you at home held something out as well. And we experience the fact that something that's not too much to carry when you carry it for a long time becomes quite heavy. Well, this week's message on God is at work is God is strengthening us. God is at work. He is strengthening us. And the funny thing is, is you might not know this, but when I go to prepare uh, a series. I look at a passage or a collection of, uh, of verses and, and look and see, oh, there's a series there. There's something that, tie that ties that together. I don't prepare all the messages there. And I just kind of briefly look at the passages and go, what's the nugget within there? And then we set ourselves up for a series. And so when I did my preparation for this, I looked through uh, the first chapter of 2 Corinthians and I could see there was this stuff about uh, God's comfort and his strength and uniting us and fulfilling his promises. That's the the, the journey we're on. But as I have come to study this passage, as I've come to repair this week, I've come to realize that I've got the wrong title. I've got the wrong title. I've also got the wrong picture. 
If you've seen these uh, kind of video highlights of the series, you'll see these different um, uh, little pictures that are going on that were in earlier in the service. You know, God is comforting us, and you see a, a dad uh, holding his child. And then when it comes to God is strengthening us, there's this woman, she's on a weights machine, and she's pulling these weights down, and there's a coach there helping her. And it just gives you this mental picture of how hard work and even resistance and struggles builds up our strength in us. That's what the title would imply, that God is strengthening us. And I think there's a truth in that. You know, there's something about weightlifting, that, that adversity, that hardship that builds up muscle. And there's something about the things that we go through create within us a strength. And, uh, and facing adversity builds our, our, our character. But I also looked and thought, is that it? Is there, is there anything more than what often people say, which is, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I don't know if you've heard that phrase before, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. It's a great phrase, it says an awful lot, but you know who said that? It was Friedrich Nietzsche. I don't think he's the greatest place for us to go to for theological understanding. It's definitely a truth, but I think there's more to being a, a believer, being a follower of Jesus, than just what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It's a question I often ask myself. Often I ask myself, what difference does it make to be a follower of Jesus? Because the truth would be that everybody who's going through this pandemic is being made stronger through it. That is true. Everyone who's facing adversity right now, everyone who's facing tough times is building up within themselves a greater resilience, a greater strength, a greater inner resolve. What doesn't kill them makes them stronger. But if that's true for all of us, Oh, what difference does it make following Jesus? What difference? And I, I, I apply that. I, I, I would encourage you to take that question. I apply that question to so many things in life. When I look and go, this is true for everybody, I then start going, so what difference does it make to be a follower of Jesus? You know, can you find within what everybody else faces, the Christian way, the following Jesus way, the, the thing that's different about Jesus, because if he didn't come to make life different, then I don't know what difference he made. We're not, we're not just singing to the same song that everyone else is. We're not just marching to the same rhythm. We are different. We are people of Jesus. We're followers of Jesus. And we have truths in his word that speak more than what the world receives. And so I would say that in the mistitling of this sermon and the misimaging of this sermon, there's something different I want to say. As we face struggles and trials and chronic pain and acute pain and difficulties and hardships and all these things, you don't need to be stronger. You need a different strength. Just hear that again. Often we tell ourselves, I've got to be stronger. I've got to kind of almost make something happen within ourselves. We put this pressure on us that I have to be, I have to do, I've got to. Let me tell you, you do not need to be stronger. You need a different strength. When you read the Bible, I find it often surprises me. When I actually stop, just like this passage, I read it very quickly when I put my series together. When, oh yeah, this, these few verses is all about God's strength, God's strengthening us. And probably subconsciously, I took that kind of, what doesn't kill you, make you stronger. You know, we all grow through adversity. I took that and thought, that's what the word of God is saying. But when you stop, 
read the Word of God, word for word, look at what it's actually saying and what it's not saying, so often God surprises us. So I'd encourage you, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We're in the first chapter. This morning we're particularly focusing on verses 8 to verse 11. And before you hear that being read to you, let me just pray. Let us ask God for his word to enlighten our heart. Not just to assume what it's going to say, but to hear what the word of God says. Can we pray together? Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that your word is rich and it nourishes the soul and it challenges us. And so, Lord, we take a moment. It's almost like we take a deep breath and breathe you in, God. And pray, Lord, open your word. Open our hearts to your word. And may it change us. In Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8 to 11. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of our life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf, for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. I want us to walk through this passage this morning. You're not going to find any three points or anything. I just want to walk through and immerse ourselves in these words and in what's being said and allow the word of God to speak to us and to challenge us and to give us truth. We need the truth of God. We need the word of God. I love where this passage starts. It starts with Paul wanting to be honest. So he says, we don't want you to be ignorant of the affliction we experienced. And it's fascinating context, really. If you were here last week, you'd heard that 2 Corinthians is a letter written to the Corinthian church after 1 Corinthians was sent to them and they didn't like it, after Paul visited them and they didn't like it, after Paul sent another letter that we don't have and that didn't land well, and they start to be resolving their conflicts. In the midst of this difficult relationship with the Corinthian church, Paul is not trying to put a veneer up. He's not trying to look like what he describes as a super apostle, these other people who are trying to come in. He is being brutally honest with his struggles, with the afflictions he faces, and with this hardship here. Despite that relationship, he is being honest. I think it's a, a characteristic of the Oak Community Church. You know, it kind of speaks in a couple of ways. When you look at the mission statement for our church, where we talk about our vision is that the oak would be a vibrant and authentic expression of life in Christ. Not the Instagram image of life in Christ, not the just the nice bits, not the cleaned up bits, but an authentic expression of life in Christ. We have a vision and an aim, and I believe we actually have a culture in our church of being authentic with each other. The sign outside of our church building that we haven't been in for nearly a year now, but the sign that says no perfect people allowed speaks to the fact that we want to be honest with each other. We want to be honest. We want to be authentic. We want to not put the Christian veneer on on a Sunday. 
It's funny, we don't have a Sunday morning to come to at the moment where we put a Christian veneer on, but we live our lives out. We live our lives out in our phone calls, our texts, our social media, maybe bumping into someone from a social distance in the shops. But as we live our lives, our desire, like Paul's, is to be authentic, to be honest, to be real. And I really believe there's a, there's a scriptural grounding for that. If you have a look in the book of 1 John, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, it says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship one with another. There's something about walking in the light. That walking in the light is, is being we're completely open and honest with each other. We're transparent with each other. We're real with each other. And as we do, fellowship comes. You know, Paul is talking in this letter here in the, in the second book of Corinthians out of his suffering. When one John's talking about walking in the light, he's talking about our sin and our failures and our faults. All of this is about living a life in community with each other where we are honest one with another. And a few things come from that. When we share in our sufferings, that's what we heard about last week, when we share in our sufferings and we share in our comfort, just like we share in Christ's sufferings and comfort, we get to share with one another. We get to bring comfort to one another. So there's something about being honest with how tough life is right now, being real with our struggles, with what's difficult and what we're, we feel like we're kind of winning over. There's something about being honest there that means that we are able to bring comfort to each other. That's what we learned about last week. In this passage, there's something about prayer. We're going to get to that near, near the end of the message. But there's something about prayerfully covering each other. When one John talks about it, John's talking about how we get to be in fellowship with one another. And so this starts here with Paul saying, let me be honest. Let me tell you, I don't want you to be ignorant of the hardship we faced. And what's interesting is not only what Paul says in this letter, but what he doesn't say. It's the bit that surprised me on my periphery kind of preparation to when I dug into this passage, is what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say, we don't want you to be ignorant of our struggles. It was really, really tough, but God made us stronger. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, we got stronger. He doesn't even say, Jesus strengthened us to get through it. In actual fact, look at verse 8. Verse 8, he talks about it and he said, We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. He's saying, we weren't strengthened. We were beyond our strength. We're taking more than we could take. You know, I, I, I love this verse. I love this passage. It's a go-to verse for me so often to correct a error that I believe uh, circulates around churches, circulates around Christian language. It's this verse or this, this concept where people say, God won't give you more than you can handle. You know, when someone's going through something tough, often people say to them, don't worry, God won't give you more than you can handle. And it's so not true. It's a slight distortion of a verse from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, you won't be tempted beyond which you can stand. He will make a way of escape. It's talking about sinful temptation, the temptations that are before us. So we can't turn around and say, I just couldn't resist that cream cake. Yes, you could. 
I couldn't resist looking at the thing on the internet. Yes, you could. I couldn't resist retaliating back to that other person. Yes, you could. You will not be tempted beyond which you can stand and God will give a way of escape. But that does not equal the same as God won't give you more than you can handle. Paul speaks to that here. He says, we faced affliction in Asia more than we could handle. He is the testimony of this. And he, he describes it quite clearly for us, quite strongly. He says, we were utterly burdened, utterly burdened beyond our strength. And then he says two really important things to really bring it home. He says that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death. He says, we despaired of life and we had a sentence of death over us. This thing about we despaired of life itself. He's describing the human condition when we go, I've had enough. I can't take any more. I've reached the end of my strength. I've used up all my capacity. There's nothing left in me. I'm at the end of my rope. Whatever, however you want to describe it, he is saying... He's saying that we were desperate of life itself. No more hope left, no more willpower, no more strength. Often, you, or sometimes you hear some people talk about uh, not depending on other people. And they go, I've learned the only person I can depend upon is myself. And Paul would look and say, I've learned the one person I can't depend upon is myself. He said, I'm not invincible. I've got a limited capacity of what I can deal with. The limited amount of pressure I can take on my shoulders. The limited amount of opposition that I can face. The limited amount of threats to me I can take. The limited amount of this. And he says, I reached that limit. I got to that point where I despaired even of living. He's talking about someone who's going, I just don't want to face another day. I don't want to face another day. I don't know if you've been, you have woken up in that place or faced that place. You go, I just don't want to face another day. Paul is saying, hey, Corinthian church, I don't want you to be unaware. I've been in that place. I've been in that place, he's saying, where I've despaired of life itself. And he not only says he despaired of life itself, he says, I felt like I had a sentence of death over me. And I thought about that. I thought, you know, it's like this idea of like one thing after another. Some people would say, you know, I feel like I've got some curse on my life or something because it's just been one thing after another. It's like a death sentence, Paul is saying. You know, we had so much going on that it's like, it's like someone is out to get me. A, a, a good a preacher that I know of called Carl Beach, he has a great expression. He said, you know, when you get saved, the day you get saved, you get a target on your back. It's like these circles drawn on your back and the enemy has got his sights set upon you. And the Christian life is that reality and sometimes we can really feel that reality. It's like one thing after another, after another. And Paul's going, it's like I had the sentence of death over me. So he's got this real pit that he's in that he's wanting to describe to the Corinthian church. He's going, I don't want you to be unaware. We were utterly burdened. We were beyond our strength. We had lost all will to live and it felt like everybody wanted to kill us. 
Now, we don't know which situation he's actually describing. Some people think it's a, a part in Ephesus that's describing the book of Acts. Others don't um, know what it is. But he's not clear. He just says, let me tell you, when I was in Asia, this is how bad it got. And his point is not to describe what happened. His point is to describe this is how I felt. So often that's true for us as well. It really, really doesn't matter the reason. No matter rationalising whether it was reasonable or not. Sometimes there are moments in life where we go, I'm just utterly burdened. I've got more than I can take. And maybe how you feel right now. And maybe where you're at right now, going, I've just taken more than I can take. Maybe you've known a time like that in your life. Maybe you're fearful that day might come. Paul is saying, I've been there. Let me tell you about when I was there. Let me tell you about this time in Asia when I was beyond my strength, when I couldn't take any more, when I despaired of life and I felt like I had a sentence of death over me. What does he say after all those words? In verse 9, he says, But that was too. But that was too. But that was for a reason. But God used that for a purpose. We learned this last week. There is no pointless suffering with God. He has a purpose and a plan. He is using. God is at work. And Paul looks and says, even in one of my darkest, deepest moments when I despaired of life itself. But that was too. It's another expression. I mean, I, I encourage you, when you read the word of God, slow down when you read it. Read every word, look at every word, and look for those bits to go, but that was so, or so that is an expression we saw last week. Look out for these. They're, they're pivotal moments to go, this thing happened, so that. This thing was going on, but God used it here. Look out for the buts. The but that says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. He said, but all this stuff I went through, this end of my tether, the end of my strength, when I'd given up, when there was nothing left in me, that was for a purpose. It was to take me from me. It was to take my dependency, my assurance, my source of strength from me to God. And not just to God. Look at the way that Paul describes God himself here. He says, but that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. What an expression. Paul's not talking about a moment here where someone had died. He's not talking about a moment where he had died, but he's calling upon the character of God, the one who raises the dead. He's saying, I was taken from relying on the strength within myself to relying on the strength of a miraculous God. What did I say at the beginning? You don't need more strength. You need a different strength. You don't need more capacity within you. God is using so many of these times to take us from our dependency on ourselves to make us dependent upon him. The God who raises the dead. The God of the impossible. You go around and tell any of your friends who aren't saved, who aren't Christians, about the God who raises the dead. They're going to look at you rather strange. It's one of the most outrageous miracles on the planet, the idea of the dead being raised back to life. And this is the God who we are drawing strength upon. 
That's the promise. Paul says, God used this to shift my focus, to move me from relying upon myself to find a strength within the God who raises the dead. He is our miraculous God. He is the one who can do abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. He is the one that the Bible says no eye has seen and no ears heard the glorious things that God has prepared for us. He is the one who walked on this earth healing the sick, raising the dead, walking on water, turning water into wine, taking bread and fish and feeding 5,000. This is the miraculous God that we're drawing strength from. This is the one we're saying we want to depend upon you. And when we do that, when we do that, we move into what it says in verse 10. Paul has this amazing confidence because he has experienced God's salvation. He's experienced God's rescue. He says, he delivered us from such a de deadly peril. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Our past, our past deliverances give us confidence for God's delivery. Our yesterday gives us confidence for tomorrow. It gives us a hope. You know, what, what has God done for you before? That's why so often, you know, the children of Israel, they left Egypt they were set free from Egypt. They went through the Red Sea. They wandered in the wilderness, heading towards their promised land. And so much of the Old Testament looks back at that and says, let's not forget, this is the God who rescued us. This is the God who set us free. This is the God who set us free from the Egyptians, took us through the Red Sea miraculously. They look back and go, look what God has done. Therefore, what will he do? We look back to the cross and go, look what God has done. Therefore, what will he do? That's why we te tell testimonies. That's the great power of a testimony. A testimony that says, this is what God did in my life. It's immensely powerful. Never underestimate the power of a testimony. If God has done it before, he will do it again. And also I would say, because we're, we're slow to accept this one. If God has done it before for someone else then why can't he do it for you? So often we have this hang up that says, well, it's all right for you. God did that for you. He won't do that for me. Because we've yet to experience it, because we've yet to see it. But I want to ask, why not? If God can do that for them, why won't he do it for you? you we're, whoever this fictitious person is, whoever this other person is, whoever this story is that's happened to them, why can't he do it for you? They're no more worthy of it than you are. They're both poured out with God's grace. If God has done it before, he can do it again. You know, this short passage tells us something about God's help. It's Paul saying, we were in a deep pit. We were in despair. We were in trouble. But God came and he rescued us. But what's wonderful in this is Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't just leave, there's a, you know, he doesn't just leave one so that. We read that first so that, or the way it puts it, but that was so. He says, look, there's a reason this happened so that we could shift our focus. But he doesn't leave it there. He moves on to the last verse in our passage this morning, verse 11. He said, you also must help us by prayer. Isn't that amazing? 
Even though God does this, even though God is faithful, even though he has the confidence that God will definitely do it again, he doesn't go, it'll be kind of handy if you pray. We'd really appreciate it if you did, or if you've got some time. He says, you also must help us by prayer. God helps in moments of desperation, but we help too by our prayers. And I love this moment where I see people turn the focus from their needs to praying for others. It's a wonderful example this week. We um, had a privilege of having our prayer meeting over Zoom. And while we're praying, Chloe texted me and said, can you be praying for us in hospital? And I'm like, hey, we're praying right now. You know, we're on the Zoom meeting. And she joined us. What was great, what I loved, I'm going to sing Chloe's praises for a second and make her embarrassed. She texts me and says, I could do a prayer. Straight away follows up with, the woman opposite me could do a prayer because what she has been through has been dreadful. In the midst of her need, her heart was, I want you to pray for this woman in the ward with me. I remember when Nick had a ear, bad ear infection, oh, years ago, he was 16 at the time, and he ended up being hospitalised while we were at um, the EDGE camp, or GNC as it was then. And whilst he was in hospital, in lots of pain, he decided to start praying for people in the ward. And as he prayed, he received his breakthrough and pain subsided. It's just amazing when we turn from the needs that we have and we pray for the needs of others. And what's great, I love in this passage, there's another so that. He says, you also must help us by prayer so that... Here's another because, here's another there's a purpose here, so that many will give thanks. So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the, through the prayers of many. I love these so that moments. These so that moments that tell us there's a purpose here. Paul is saying, you've got to pray for us. It's interesting, he doesn't say, you've got to pray for us so that we receive the breakthrough. That's not the so that. He doesn't say, you must pray for us so that God's hand will move. That's not why he says it either. He says, you must pray for us so that many will give thanks to God. Again, we see God's purposes and plans that we've been seeing through so many sermons recently that God is interested in the world praising him. Not because he's some egotistical, but because we find completion in praising God. We find completion as we give our lives to him. His hope, his joy is in seeing many give thanks. Many give thanks. There's something about entering in, in prayer, when others are going through tough times. This is why, I tell you, I can't, I can't impress on you enough. This is why when people put on the Facebook prayer group, they need prayer. To enter into prayers. And I... I'll confess with you, I struggle. I struggle in the business to go, I must stop, I must stop. I can write, I'm praying for you. I can say you're in our thoughts and prayers, but to actually stop and take some time to pray, that is what God's calling us to do. You must help us by prayer, Paul says, so that many will give thanks. There's something wonderful. We've loved in our prayer meetings on Tuesday when we have been praying through things and then we see the breakthrough and then we see the answers. There is a wonderful so that moment so that we can give thanks. And there's something about entering into other people's afflictions so that thanks can be given to God. So that God, God, 
I can't, how do I put it across? It, it's so that not only do we get to thank God, but I think this word many is significant. Imagine someone who you know who's going through the tough time and you go, I am going to be praying for you. So that when the answer comes, when God delivers, you can give praise to God. And again, to me, this is so important about why we must be honest and open with each other. We go, I'm struggling in this. Can you pray for me with that? This is difficult for me right now. Because when we see the breakthrough, when we see God's deliverance, when we see God's strength given in that situation, many give thanks to God. You know, God is at work. Even in these tough times, God is at work. He is shifting our security from ourselves to him. I'd love to tell you there's a seven point plan of how you do that. It's a mysterious, miraculous thing. And I think we only reach it or we only discover it when we reach the end of our tether. So often we rely on our own strength and our own resilience and I can get through it and I can do it. And there's something about reaching that point where you go, I've got nothing left, God. There's nothing left in me. I can't do this. In that moment, we discover the injection of God's strength. God saying, now's my time. Now I can take over. Now I can do it because I am the God who raises the dead. <laughs> Even if we're flat on our knees, feel like we've got nothing left, half dead, nothing left, God says, I'll raise the dead. So can we pray this morning? Can we pray for our shift in focus? Can we pray for others that they would discover the strength of God? Can we pray that God, would you redeem us from our self-reliance, from our dependence on ourself, that we would turn to you and that we would have the same confident hope that Paul has? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the treasure in your word. Lord, I thank you when we stop to read it. We are nourished, we are taught, we're refined, we're challenged, we're surprised. And God, we realise that there is something about reaching the end of our strength when we have nothing left. When we're on rock bottom, Lord, there is a moment there where you work miracles. Where you work miracles and you transfer our attention from our strength, our self-confidence, our confidence in ourselves, and we place our confidence in you. Lord, we don't want to be a people who says, I've been through it before, I'll get through it again. We want to be a people who say, God delivered me before, he will do it again. And Lord, in this moment right now, I want to pray for every single person, especially watching, listening to this, who feel they're at rock bottom, who feel they've got no strength left, who feel the tank is empty and there's nothing more to give. Lord Jesus, come. Lord, don't strengthen them. Give them your strength. Give them your strength. Lord, may we walk in the strength of God, not in our own. Lord, be with them right in this moment. May they know the miracle-working power of God. Lord, the God who raises the dead, the God who parted the Red Sea, the God who fed 5,000. Lord Jesus, would you come into that moment Lift them up by the power of your spirit and may they see this is not by my strength. <laughs> this is not by my might, but it's by the spirit of God giving me strength to face another day. Lord, lift them up, we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.